the leak of a draft Supreme Court opinion. The Supreme Court. The court that dark money built. Breaking news at the Supreme Court. The landmark Roe v. Wade case. A woman's constitutional right to an abortion. My body, my choice. And Leonard Leo, who really is responsible for helping Trump fill the Supreme Court. A Supreme Court decision with dramatic consequences. The justices ruling five to four. You look at the decisions like Shelby County that attacks voting rights, and then you look at the dark money cases like Citizens United. It's not just us. The court is not in order. This is Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, and welcome to Making the Case. The second episode will be about the machinery and recent history of the right-wing billionaire's scheme to capture our Supreme Court. With me uh, here today are Representative Hank Johnson, Democrat from Georgia's 4th District, and my reciprocal as the lead Democrat in the Courts Subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee, Dahlia Lithwick, senior editor at Slate and the author of her new book, Lady Justice, um, and a keen observer of our Supreme Court. And finally, Lisa Graves, the best investigator of the funding of the uh, scheme operation, also the executive director of True North Research and president of the board of the Center for Media and Democracy and a graduate of the Senate Judiciary Committee staff. Welcome, all of you. When most people think about the current Supreme Court, one of the first names that comes to mind is Donald Trump, who appointed three of its justices. But there's another name that's arguably more important, and that is the billionaire's fixer, Leonard Leo. Dahlia, who is this guy, and how is he connected to the Supreme Court? He is, without a doubt, Senator, uh, the person who is the conservative legal movement's kingmaker. Uh, paradoxically, when there's a fawning profile of him making that point, uh, he happily accepts it. He happily gives quotes. He happily says that, you know, it's, it's in some sense, the Federalist Society's world. We all just live in it. But when we say that, um, we're accused of being paranoid and hysterical and delusional. So I think the most important thing we can say about him is not only that he is at the helm of the Federalist Society, he tags in and out of the Federalist Society, sometimes to work uh, on judicial selection in the White House. He's got a whole bunch of groups that Lisa can do on the string board with the maps, but he's got a whole bunch of groups that essentially work in a concerted way to pour money into getting judges seated, not just justices on the Supreme Court, but judges around the country and state Supreme Court justices. And that money ensures that when a judicial contest happens, his nominee wins. And he has been so, so effective at it uh, that, in fact, the court has a big Leonard Leo thumbprint all over it today. And Lisa, how big is that money? You're tracking the funding. That's right. Uh, before the public learned about the existence of the Marble Freedom Trust, that's the uh, more than $1.6 billion that a Chicago right-wing billionaire, Barry Side, uh, entrusted to Leo, we had tallied the amount of money that the Leo network had amassed uh, in the prior several years at nearly $600 million. 
that was spent to influence um, who gets on the Supreme Court and other courts, um, as well as to change the course of the law. And that money has been spent to pack the U.S. court, to capture it, in your words, uh, Senator, and, um, and not just capture it uh, just for the purpose of capturing it, but for the purpose of changing our laws, of limiting our freedoms in innumerable ways. And I also would note, as Dahlia mentioned, that Leo is uh, the co-chair of the Federal Society and previously was its um, executive vice president, but he was described as a volunteer in helping um, the Trump administration choose the justices of the Supreme Court. In fact, he chose the list that Trump chose from and then worked with his close allies to secure their nomination. Um, and also, uh, in the process, he, he seemingly became quite wealthy during the time uh, right after uh, Justice Kennedy announced his retirement. Leonard Leo paid off uh, his mortgage on his home uh, nearly 20 years early. And then on the eve of the vote of Kavanaugh, Leonard Leo purchased a mansion in Maine that had been built by a robber baron uh, from a century ago. Um, and since then, he's acquired another uh, mansion in Maine as he has left the Federal Society as his day job and has joined um, the for-profit sector working with a group that gets money from some of the groups that also get money from Leonard Leo. And so he's created uh, quite a scheme that is intricately tied to the agenda of some of the wealthiest few in America to limit the rights of ordinary Americans and also to limit our ability to address and redress the climate changes that are underway. Yeah, this is Hank Johnson. Uh, good to be with you all today. You know, uh, Leonard Leo has gotten rich along with the corporations that have infused him with the money that he uses to uh, influence the Supreme Court. He, In fact, he's had a role in selecting each of the last four Republican-appointed Supreme Court justices, uh, Sam Alito, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Comey Barrett. Can you all tell us about the work that uh, Leo did in confirming the first of those justices, Samuel Alito? You know, one of the, the things that emerges from the early reporting, I'm thinking of the New Yorker profile by Jeff Tubin on Sam Alito is the degree to which it was the Federalist Society, for instance, that decided that Harriet Myers, uh, then uh, George W. Bush's nominee for the Supreme Court, was not sufficiently conservative and made sure that she, in fact, did not get the nod. Uh, that was, in some sense, a moment at which we started to realize that it wasn't going to be, in fact, liberal opponents who were determining who the Bush appointees were. It was going to be conservatives who felt that they didn't have enough of a sense of who the nominee was and hadn't vetted her because she didn't come up through the Federalist Society. Uh, and that was also a moment in which I think it became really clear that the confirmation hearings themselves were being, in some sense, orchestrated, choreographed, and manipulated by the Federalist Society so that things that looked as though they had a process were, in fact, just empty theater to get Federalist Society nominees pushed through. Well, I think we use Federalist Society nominees kind of as shorthand 
But let's go back to the uh, list that candidate Trump famously promised to hire off of for Supreme Court justices. That was referred to all over the place as the Federalist Society list. He called it his Federal Society list. And yet we found out recently from people within the Federalist Society that there was no Federalist Society process. There, was, there were no Federalist Society proceedings. There was no Federalist Society meeting. Uh, this, if anything, was cooked up completely differently than through the ordinary procedures of the Federalist Society. What do we know about who really put that list together of Donald Trump's nominees? Well, that's a great question, Senator. And as you point out, the Federal Society has said that it has no such process and that it doesn't get involved in political issues or, or the like. Um, but it, it really has because of the role that Leonard Leo has played within it and the singular role that he's played in helping to d- determine who gets the nominations for the Supreme Court and for lower courts through his access to Trump and to his inner circle, his White House counsel's office and more, um, Leo really helped orchestrate that. And you could see other aspects of that orchestration. You could see, for example, um, when they thought they were going to perhaps have a vacancy um, by Justice Ginsburg early on, they uh, had Amy Coney Barrett speaking at the Federal Society when it was announced by the White House that she was being nominated to the Seventh Circuit. Uh, which was a stepping stone for her short time later being nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court. The fact is, is that Leo um, has been orchestrating and aiding this pipeline now for decades. He has played a tremendous role, and that's in part because he's not, he was not just the vice president of the Federal Society. He was the sort of moneymaker, the rainmaker, who was bringing money into the Federal Society. When you look at the Federal Society's uh, donors, what you see is that the largest donor of all is anonymous. And we now know that one of the biggest anonymous benefactors uh, for Leonard Leo was Barry Side, the man who made him basically a trust fund baby, in essence, a, a trust fund leader that now has, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars at his disposal to spend every year without spending down the base of that trust. And he's spending it to influence our courts, to reshape our society in what I consider to be a very regressive way to advance his personal agenda, as well as the agenda of his closest funders. And so it's money that Leo has um, orchestrated. It's money that he's deployed to capture our court. And he's done so in order to reverse a century of legal precedents like um, the Dobbs case, reversing Roe and more. And we're beginning to see the, the weight of that imprint by Leonard Leo. So bad enough if a private group is selecting a list of Supreme Court nominees while taking massive secret donations, but worse, when there's no process there and it's all quietly done in a back room with who knows what secretive billionaire is actually making up the list. Well, that's right. You know, we don't know. It's, it's a closed process. And, you know, one of the things that um, happens is that under federal law, typically if they're were a real inside committee, there's a law that in theory requires disclosure of who's on that special committee and if there may be financial conflicts, for example, interests at stake. But because this has all been done uh, behind the scenes, uh, the American people don't know who's in those rooms. Uh, But, you know, there's a glimpse of that because one of the photos uh, that we found last year in our work at True North uh, was a photo of Harlan Crow with Clarence Thomas, with Leonard Leo, with Mark Paoletta, uh, and another fellow 
uh, it was titled um, on the website that the that the, the painting, the photo of the painting uh, was hosted on as just five guys discussing the law. Um, and that's not to say that they were discussing Supreme Court nominations um, at that meeting. But uh, these um, men were gathered together and they all have been, um, you know, playing a significant role in our democracy, some of which has been completely behind the scenes. And so um, it is a real problem when you don't have uh, transparency. And it's a real problem in part because notwithstanding the claims of Harlan Crow and his very expensive, presumably expensive PR operation, he does have an interest in the law. He has been trying to shape who wins offices. He has been trying to shape um, the law through his funding of the Federal Society and more, um, as well as funding some of the groups that were in integral uh, to the appointments of John Roberts and Samuel Alito back in 2005 and 2006. So um, I don't buy what he's selling, in my personal opinion. I know from what we can see from campaign filings uh, and more that Harlan Crow has a substantial interest in the court. And I also know, similarly for Barry Side and Charles Koch, these other two billionaires who played a significant role in aiding Leo's agenda, that they have an agenda before the U.S. Supreme Court, and they are, they've been winning. Well, they have uh, actually honed their craft to such a degree. You know, we've gotten into auditioning before the Federalist Society and other dark money interests uh, for court nominations. Can you um, educate us at all on uh, the nomination process of uh, Brett Kavanaugh and um, how this is emblematic of the Leo court capture operation, uh, the way that uh, his nomination came about? Uh, ironically, Representative Johnson, that's exactly the language that both Senator Whitehouse and I used in our respective books, um, auditioning, uh, in referencing then-judge, now-Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who was not on that list, the original list that then candidate Donald Trump had circulated saying, these are my nominees. First time we ever had it. These are my, going to be my picks for the Supreme Court. All of them pledged to overturn Roe, all vetted by the conservative legal movement. But one conspicuous person not on the list was Judge Brett Kavanaugh, who ought to have been on the list because he was on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. He had worked on Bush v. Gore. He had worked for the Bush administration. Uh, he's a kind of where's Waldo character of the conservative legal movement and yet was nowhere on the list. So he promptly vaulted himself onto the list in a really important case involving a migrant teen who sought to have an abortion. Uh, she was being held in a shelter in Texas. She'd been granted permission by a Texas judge to terminate a pregnancy. And the Donald Trump administration would not let her out of the shelter to terminate, literally kept her inside. The case went all the way to the D.C. Circuit, first to a three-judge panel that included Brett Kavanaugh, then to the en banc court. And Judge Kavanaugh, as part of his audition for the Supreme Court, threw in a whole bunch of gratuitous language that was essentially just dog-whistling to the pro-life movement to suggest that he was very much on side uh, that he very, very much uh, had a, a, a pro-life bent and that he was going to be in the tank for doing away with Roe. And magically, and unimaginably, he appears on the list and then becomes the nominee to replace 
um, um, Justice Kennedy when Justice Kennedy leaves the court. So this is a really good example of something that was happening in plain sight in some sense, where it's sort of the reverse of Harriet Myers. Somebody's not vetted and suddenly he's vetted. And it's simply by performing his pro-life bona fides in an opinion that actually involved a teenage girl who desperately needed an abortion who he would have not given it to. And while he was at it, he did the same thing on guns. He did the same thing on dark money. He did the same on deregulation. He checked all the right-wing billionaires' boxes. And if I'm not mistaken, he knew Alito from having been a staffer in the White House uh, judicial nominations operation, correct? He was also involved in vetting Bush's, uh, George Bush's judicial nominees. And among the many, many, many papers that were not disclosed, um, I mean, many, many, many papers that we never saw um, from his t- time doing that were a whole bunch of extremely controversial calls that he made around judicial nominees. Brett has been uh, politically involved, very politically engaged uh, throughout his career before he became a judge and before he uh, did the, the audition that uh, Dahlia and you wrote about. Um, but the fact is, is that it's not just Kavanaugh, it's also Leo. Leo has um, really been uh, the key connective tissue between all of these nominations. After he graduated from Cornell Law School and uh, clerked for lower court judges, he uh, went on to help uh, Clarence Thomas in his nomination to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, he worked with uh, Mark Paoletta, uh, the fellow in that photo, um, at that time in that nomination. Uh, Leo was centrally involved in uh, the operation to try to push forward the controversial Bush nominees, including the Supreme Court nominees like Alito, as you all have mentioned, but also Roberts. Uh, and then he played a c- central role um, in the selection and then the orchestration of money to help buttress those controversial nominees, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. The groups that he's closely tied to spent millions of dollars on ads and more to push those uh, nominations into confirmation, even on the eve of the 2020 presidential election. But that's not all. Leo's groups have also been playing a significant role in the amicus process, the amicus scheme that you've uh, spoken about and written about, Senator Whitehouse, because so many of these amicus groups that are now uh, trying to um, urge or provide the reasons for the Supreme Court to reverse all these precedents, so many of them are also tied to Leo and the dark money operation that he's helped orchestrate. So let's look for one minute at the one particular group in that Leonard Leo dark money operation, and that is the Judicial Crisis Network, uh, located conveniently right down the hall on the same hallway in the same building as the Federalist Society. What can you tell us about the Judicial Crisis Network, how it got started, and what it's been up to? Yeah, so JCN, uh, it was, that was due to the great reporting, investigative reporting by Bob O'Hara and Sean Boberg from Washington Post, where they uh, went to the hall, the floor, uh, wanted to see where the Digital Crisis Network was operating, and it was right down the hall from Leo's office. And uh, another uh, former um, person who worked with Leo uh, had talked about how closely Terry Severino, who's the leader of JCN, and Leo were working together on these um, court issues, on this, these nomination issues. And so... They're very close. I personally, in my opinion, consider JCN to be sort of an alter ego 
uh, for Leonard Leo. It really is, uh, it's now called the Concord Fund, which I believe is named after the first battle of the Revolutionary War. Um, it was created back in 2004 uh, as um, the, after George W. Bush won that presidential election, as the Republicans and right-wingers were anticipating one or two Supreme Court vacancies. And there was a dinner uh, where Leo was, and actually Justice Scalia was at that dinner. And that's the origin story. Uh, sometime at that dinner, this group was um, launched. A few uh, days later, it was filed. Uh, the corporation papers were filed for it, for Judicial Crisis Network, as well as a group called uh, the Judicial Education Project. Um, that latter one is a C3, which is a nonprofit charity um, the, the other one, Judicial Crisis Network, which was then called the Judicial Confirmation Network, is a C4, meaning an advocacy group. Um, but both groups have been um, really um, aiding Leo's agenda these many years. There's more to the story on Judicial Education Project, but JCN is the one that has really been in the spotlight because of the prominent role um, it has played in um, advocating for, in uh, pushing for the very nominees that, uh, that Leo helped uh, put into the nomination process. So JCN is a dark money group. It's funded by dark money. For some years, like 98 to 99% of its funding has come from one single donor. And so here you have, a, have groups that have been uh, centrally involved in uh, pushing forward these extreme nominees, these people whose agenda fits um, Leonard Leo's agenda, um, and whose real donors, the, the real true donor or donors, are kept secret from the American public. Terry Severino, who leads both groups, has also been involved in the amicus effort, the amicus uh, uh, scheme, in my view. Um, and so uh, they're groups that people should know the names of because they have played and continue to play a significant role in Leonard Leo's, his extreme agenda. I would add two quick beats. One is that in addition to all that busy, busy, busy life, Carrie Severino also holds herself out to be a reporter, also authors books about jurists. I mean, it's a it's a sort of one-stop shopping for informing uh, the conservative legal movement's worldview. It's not simply, you know, we're pouring money into the coffers or we're buying ads to make it sound as though Merrick Garland is going to come and take away your Second Amendment rights. All of that happens. But there's also a kind of a publishing juggernaut arm of this that isn't just, as Lisa says, churning out amicus briefs with kind of preposterous off-the-wall doctrinal ideas that then become the law of the land, but also purporting to be sort of neutral journalists and neutral authors while writing what is just straight-up love letters to conservative judges. The only other thing I would just add is the bombshell story from just a, a few weeks ago, where in January 2012, Leonard Leo instructs Kellyanne Conway to bill a nonprofit group that uh, she's involved with to put money into Ginny Thomas's pocket and says that this nonprofit, the Judicial Education Project that, that Lisa just described, while it was filing briefs. In a landmark voting rights case, here we have Leonard Leo telling Kellyanne Conway to, quote, give Ginny Thomas, quote, another 25K, 
quote, no mention of Ginny, of course. So this is operating at so many levels. It's kind of whack-a-mole. And the idea that all of these front groups are passing money around and that somehow the money goes to Ginny Thomas's pocket and that it's all somehow respectable because when asked why he did that and didn't disclose, Leonard Leo said he was trying to keep the Thomases from being harassed. Carrie Severino, by the way, used to clerk, curiously, for uh, Clarence Thomas. So that's a nice little circle that they have. That's that's exactly right, uh, Representative Johnson. You can see from these arrangements how close these individuals are. There's Leonard Leo, as uh, Dahlia mentioned in a story um, by Sean Boberg and uh, another reporter from The Washington Post, Emma, um, talking about how they received documents showing that Leo was orchestrating secret payments to a sitting Supreme Court justice's wife, Jenny Thomas. Um, and, uh, and as Dahlia pointed out, and as the story pointed out, while that group just suddenly started submitting amicus briefs in some of the most you know, key legal issues of our time, and they've continued to do so, that group has continued to do so, Judicial Education Project. And so, you know, it is, um, I wouldn't call it a seamless uh, process, but it really is an incredible influence machine, a dark money influence machine that has, in my view, corrupted the court. And, and there's just a shadow cast over the Supreme Court because of the revelations about um, the money that has uh, gone through gifts to Justice Thomas the, that have not been disclosed, the effort of Leonard Leo to pack this court, the money uh, uh, that was um, directed to Jenny Thomas, only a part of which we know from that glimpse from 2011, 2012. We don't know there's more. There could well be. And so it's an extraordinary time we are living in. And it's not just that these issues are affecting the integrity and public confidence in the court. It's also the case that this court itself has embarked on perhaps one of the most extreme legal agendas we've ever seen, um, not just in our lifetime, but ever in terms of the devotion of this Leo faction um, on the court to reversing our rights it begins as the Judicial Confirmation Network to support right-wing confirmations. It becomes the Judicial Crisis Network when the crisis of a Barack Obama presidency and potential Obama Supreme Court nominations come along. Then it turns into the Concord Fund. Then it files – Concord Fund files as a fictitious name – Judicial Crisis Network and goes back to being Judicial Crisis Network again as a fictitious name. And it also files other fictitious names, including Judicial Education Project, which we've mentioned. But let me throw in Honest Elections Project, which is also filing briefs in the Supreme Court without disclosing that it is <laughs> actually the same group as the one that was paying for the ads for the justices sitting on the court. That's right. The Honest Elections Project is the is the latest alias or fictitious name that's been filed by the Judicial Education Project, which now goes also by the name 85 Fund. It really is an alphabet soup, but its its business in, in essence is deadly serious because what the Honest Elections Project has, has been doing is going around the country to support efforts that many people say, and I believe, make it much harder for Americans to vote under the guise of promoting um, what's known as the big lie or what I call the big lucrative lie uh, that the election in 2020 was stolen through voter frauds, just not true. Uh, and these measures in states, which are supposed to you know, design theoretically 
to, to limit a stealing of the vote are actually designed uh, in the views of many, including some judges, uh, independent judges, uh, to um, suppress the vote, to make it harder for people to vote, particularly um, uh, African-Americans and students and others. And so um, Honest Elections Project um, has uh, begun the business of submitting briefs to the U.S. Supreme Court in some of the most important uh, cases that the court is considering now. But it's not just that. Uh, we also know that the Manhattan Institute, which is funded uh, uh, by, in part, by Harlan Crow through his wife, Kathy, who sits on the uh, Board of Trustees, it also is weighing in in Supreme Court cases. And you can just go down the list, group after group that's tied to LEO, uh, that has received money uh, uh, through some of these um, dark money operations that he's been uh, involved in, are weighing in on the Supreme Court um, docket. And it's not just that, you know, um, it's not just that they're providing a brief and other groups are providing a brief. These are groups whose purpose, in essence, is to, in many ways, is to change our rights, again, to limit our freedoms, other than to use religious freedom as a sword to attack equality, to attack equal protection of the law. Um, these groups are devoted to, uh, in many ways, making it harder uh, for many Americans to um, use the freedoms that the Constitution has been interpreted to protect for decades now. I, I just want to really, really lift up what Lisa just said, because I think it's the single most vital and missed piece of this conversation, which is why are Leonard Leo and his front groups working so hard to make it difficult to vote? And that is the one and only question that I think they need to be pressed to answer. The, the brief that the, the group that uh, was giving money to Ginny Thomas uh, was in Shelby County versus Holder, which eviscerated Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act. The Honest Elections Project submitted a brief in Moore v. Harper. That's the independent state legislature theory that would fundamentally end the notion that citizens can vote and that their Supreme Courts and their states can vindicate their voting rights that state legislatures determine that forever with plenary power. This could not be more urgent, the idea that these groups are trying to do away with the fundamental principle of one person, one vote, and that they're doing that in a hundred different whack-a-mole contexts. But if Leonard Leo can't answer for the fact that he has poured dark money into the project of suppressing the vote, and that that doesn't happen in the light of day. It happens, as you both say, as part of a scheme, as part of a sort of shell game. Then we should be asking ourselves, why is that not happening in broad daylight so we can talk about it? At the end of the day, behind all this whack-a-mole complexity of all these different phony front groups played like piano keys is just a handful of right-wing billionaires and a handful of orchestrating operatives. And that is what we're doing here, making the case about what is really behind all these tragic decisions and all the sordid misconduct at the Supreme Court. Let me thank Representative Johnson. Uh, let me thank Dahlia Lithwick and Lisa Graves, who are two of the real truth tellers in this space. And I look forward to you coming back to the podcast for more Making the Case. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Senator.